Let's talk twins. How did their draft go? How are their top prospects doing? And what's the outlook in Minnesota? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper Picks, and you can win up to a 100 times your money payout. Download the Sleeper app, use promo code Locked On, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions do apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Sleeper's currently operational in over 30 states, so check out Sleeper today. Got a fun one for you. Picking up a new show we've never done a crossover with. We hopped on Locked on Twins with Brandon to talk some about their draft, talk some about the top prospects in this system, and what exactly the Twins have to do to be considered one of the premier teams at developing pitching talent. Really interesting conversation. Hope you enjoy. Hello again, and welcome back to Locked On Twins. As you can see, we have a very special crossover episode with Locked On MLB Prospects. I'm your host, Brandon Warren, and you can, but maybe shouldn't, follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. And across the screen from me, our prospect guru. You can follow him at Crosby Baseball. It's Lindsey Crosby. What's going on, man? This is... This is the time when I finally get to sleep a little bit. We had the MLB draft. We just, right after the College World Series, it's been, this is like my one week when I get to relax a little bit before we jump right back into it with the trade deadline coming up. So yeah. you, ca- you caught me at a good time. You're like those NFL coaches that don't have to sleep in their office during the summer because it's only mini camp as opposed to regular season stuff. I but- did fall asleep on that chair behind me this afternoon. Yes. Lindsay. What do you think of seeing players born in the 2000s? It makes me just about want to start putting down a, a deposit on a burial plot. It's something where I think about, like, I'm still a young guy. I'm still young and vibrant and everything. And then I, I think about guys who are my age in MLB, and it's, oh, he's the oldest player in the league. It's a yeah. miracle he's able to still walk out there. And I'm like, oh, man, this is rough. We've got our friend Lindsey Crosby here. And, Lindsey, for the fans... Who do not know your your role or what you do here at Locked On? Locked On MLB Prospects. How'd you get into this? How long have you been doing it? And what's your favorite thing about it? Yeah, so I took over Locked On MLB Prospects January of 2022. Right? Is that right? Yeah. So I'm a year and a half in now, and it's been a ton of fun. What I love is that I get to do the same thing as everybody else at Locked On, as far as be. Uh, be a fun voice and get to talk about these players and everything. But I'm a little bit different because I'm not tied to one specific team. I have such a wide purview that I can talk about where I get to focus on the good. Like we on my show, we just assume that the guys we're talking about are going to make it to MLB. And Mm -hmm. the most likely outcome for any prospect is that they never play in the bigs. It's like 9% of all drafted players play in MLB. But what's great about Uh, What I do is no matter what, there's always another prospect to talk about. So I always get a chance to talk positively versus this guy's probably not going to make MLB because in reality, most of them aren't going to make MLB and that doesn't make for a very fun show. So 
I like right. the ability to bring in positivity at all times. I have a question about how prospect coverage has evolved over the years. So I've been, as far as professionally covering prospects now since, since 2021, it's been something I've always gravitated more towards minor league baseball sure. than professional baseball. I am a professional baseball fan. I do watch MLB on TV, but I've always, probably the last 10 years or so, followed minor league baseball rather closely because being here in the Southeast, there's a ton of minor league baseball around. And it's always fun stuff too. The Montgomery Biscuits, the Biloxi Shuckers, the, the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Like it's tons of fun. And so it's been, I've been following it for about a decade, but I've been covering it as a professional for about three, three, four years now. Okay. Cause I always wonder what it's been like. So I grew up in an era and I'm sure we're probably a similar age where there's a trade for a player and they got three minor leaguers. And you're like, cool. I have no idea who they are. I don't know if they're any good. Twins call up a guy in 1993 and it's, I don't know if he's any good. I've never heard of him. Now it's like, you know, these guys' birthdays, pitch mixes, their fiance's name, what kind of dogs they have, like the change in the landscape. And, and I noticed that I grew up, I cut my teeth on Moneyball coming out of high school, baseball prospectus and all that. It taught me a lot about how the game has changed in the last 20 years. But it's just, it's incredible to me how, it, we just continue to progress down that road. Yeah, we have more and more data on these guys. And as we have that, I feel like the base level of knowledge for just about everybody is significantly higher, right? You're no longer surprised by a guy when he gets called to the bigs. You know who he is. At the same time, it means that there are special people out there who are able to give us deeper insights into these players and so what I'm finding is that the curve on everything's accelerated. Their development curve, uh, their adjustment curve to MLB. Like a lot of these guys, when they get called up for the first time, there's already scouting reports for opposing pitchers on how to attack them. Mm -hmm. And that's something you didn't see back in the day. And so these guys have to adjust and react and change things so much quicker than players did 20 years ago. And I would argue that makes the overall talent level of the sport higher, mm -hmm. but it also makes things tougher on these prospects compared to prospects 20 years ago because we have all this information about what they're good at and what they're not good at and how to attack them. And so it's tougher to be a prospect, but you also have more awareness and recognition of exactly how tough it is. Yeah. And sometimes we can get into a paralysis by analysis where we think we know everything about these players and then they come up and it's a guy like Jared Kellenick who needs time to figure things out. Lots of guys are those post-hype type sleepers. Now, before we dive into the 2023 draft for your Minnesota Twins, I've got one question. Who is your all-time favorite Auburn Tiger baseball player? I'm going to say, because I understand my audience right now, I'm going <laughs> to say Edward Julian. Nice. He's been... As long as you're not asking him to pick up ground balls, he's been doing a pretty nice job for the Twins. But boy, he can rake. He is he has got quite a presence in the in the batter's box. There's no question about that. Yeah, it's it's one of the best like pitch recognition batter's eyes that I've seen in quite a long time. And I'm not saying that because he went to Auburn while I, while I've been covering the, the school. Just legitimately led. I want to say he led all of the minor leagues for qualified hitters and and on base percentage and walk rate last year. And yes, it's been a little bit of work trying to figure out where to play him defensively. His best defensive position may be DH, uh, but he's definitely shown that he can provide offense. He's got a little more pop than I think everybody expected. And 
his pitch recognition, he's one of the few players where when he doesn't offer at a pitch and it's called for as a close pitch and it's called for a strike, I'm assuming the umpire's wrong, not that he's wrong. And like there's not many players where you can say that. Yeah, there's like this audible wow, who wanted this hit or miss because the umpire was wrong. We've been waiting for this one. Twins, with the number five overall pick, select outfielder Walker Jenkins, a high school player from North Carolina. Now, before we get into the draft, how about the Twins getting the number five pick in the spot they were in? It was like fortuitous that they actually moved up because I'm here to tell you, if you're not aware of the Minnesota Timberwolves and their luck, every year there'd be a two-player draft and they'd pick third. They'd have a chance for Shaq and they'd pick second. A chance for Alonzo Mourning and they'd pick right after that. You name it, they had the worst luck until they landed Carl Anthony Towns. So now the Twins get a little bit of that luck and they land Walker Jenkins, who Doug Mankavish told me on the show, I think it was last week, that... There are some years where Walker Jenkins could have been a 1-1 and it would not have been surprising. How do you feel about that comment? It makes perfect sense. And this class was it was extraordinarily stacked with college hitting in a way that we have not seen in a very long time. And this is all the fallout from 2020 where only five-round draft, so all of those prep guys that didn't get taken or didn't get their bonus demands met all went to college and they're now in this class. And so when you look at what Walker Jenkins does... He's probably, as far as the, that 2023 class of prep players, probably has the highest, one of the highest power ceilings and one of the better hit tools. And between him and Max Clark, it's very much a, do you want, if you're thinking Max Clark, that's the comparison to Dylan Cruz, a guy that's just very good at everything, doesn't necessarily excel at anything, just very good at everything. Whereas Walker Jenkins was very much like Wyatt Langford. It's a... It's outfielder, probably going to be a corner guy, but very good power. And I think Jenkins has the potential for a better hit tool ceiling than Langford had. It is entirely possible that Walker Jenkins, if he hits all of the developmental milestones that you're expecting, that he is a 30-35 home run plus defending right fielder with a plus arm type of player in four years. The question is... Obviously, it's a development between now and then. You have to get everything right. And Mm -hmm. it's something where we have a smaller sample on him right now because of some injury issues and things like that. The Hammett, I think. Yeah, which is an injury that has slowed a lot of hitters down. And he still put up good testing numbers despite recovering from the injury. So you feel good about that. And to top it off, everybody that I've talked to that's met him, that's just talked the things with him have said, like, he's an 80-grade human being. Like, he's Mm -hmm. just a very well-spoken, very nice young man, very humble, very baseball savvy. And so that definitely helps as far as giving you a person to root for, but also helps you feel good about the development. Like, it's something where it feels like he has the potential to bond with the city, like how Joey Votto has with Cincinnati. And he's become, like, an icon in the city. Walker Jenkins, from what people I've talked to, feels like he has the potential to be that for the Minnesota Twins. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Dave. At one time or another, we all need a little financial help, and that's why Dave is great. Dave can get you cash when you need a hand between paychecks and can help you build credit 
by setting extra cash advances on time. It's the banking app that's leveling the financial playing field. When you download Dave, you, you could get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. It's part of Dave's extra cash account. Advance the money you need with no interest and then settle up later. Download Dave today at dave.com slash MLB. That's dave.com slash MLB. You can get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. Download the Dave app now or go to dave.com slash MLB. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Eligibility criteria and instant transfer fees apply. Baking services provided by Evolve, member FDIC. Doug Mankiewicz played Major League Baseball with Denny Hawking with the Twins, and Hawking was the USA U18 coach last year. I believe it's is it Kadire this year, I think. But anyway, so Hawking actually has two twin daughters who are in college. And so I, I don't know if he meant them specifically, but he said to Doug, he's like, this is the kind of guy you would let take your daughters out. This is what Walker Jenkins is like. He's that kind of person. You would be happy to let him date your daughter. He's an A-plus guy. And he said, too, the fact that he dealt with that hammock to where he couldn't be as involved with U18 as he would have liked. Doug said that he heard that it was just an everyone was just bawling when he was talking about how much the game meant to him and how he wanted to go. And, yeah, it sounds like the Twins got an A-plus player there. Radcliffe, Mike Radcliffe also wrote something up on him before he passed away, so it sounded like even the main voice of the twins for all those years had his fingerprints on this one. And, and you can tell me this is crazy, but I asked Doug for a comp. And now I know prospect types, scouts, everyone abhor comps. And I get that. That's yeah. fair. But for the average fan listening, they like to have something to wrap their brain around. Right. And Doug said, transcendent player, transcendent human, Larry Walker. He said he I saw Larry Walker. I think Larry Walker is a good way to describe the type of person he is, the type of game that he's going to have. That feels like a really good one. Now, and I'm sure he's the same way of this, very careful about making sure people don't think the expectations for his performance should be the same as Larry Walker. Oh, no, he doesn't hates comps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I bet you hate comps. And he's like, that's exactly right. I hate comps. I will indulge you. And I was like, no, I know. I've talked to so many baseball types who hate them, so I get it. Yeah, yeah. But like the type of game, the type of personality, everything that he has, the ability to potentially be a generational type player, mm-hmm. Larry Walker's a really good comparison in that regard. I do that a lot. Nice. So Charlie Soto goes with pick 34. MLB had him 28th on their board. But what I saw, I think it was Keith Law said that 10 years ago, uh, we'll see if I remember this correctly. He said 10 years ago, Soto probably would have gone higher with his pitch, mix, repertoire, et cetera. Now, does that mean to you that's what teams valued more back then? Does that mean something different? Because when I see the measurables and the repertoire and stuff, and the fact he doesn't turn 18 for another six weeks, there's a lot to like here, but I don't, I'm trying to understand what Keith's saying there as far as he'd have gone higher 10 years ago. Yeah, so he... He definitely fits the model as far as age. I think what Keith's referring to, and not only speaking for him, but having yep. uh, done a lot of his work for a while, is when you look at what Charlie Soto does right now, it's very much, it's fastball, slider changeup. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the modern analytics 
look at the movement on your slider. Charlie Soto's slider is a little bit of a shorter, kind of a biting slider versus mm -hmm. what's in vogue right now, which is the big sweeper. And then the changeup is considered to be one of the, by, by a lot of the analytics, to be a lesser effective option versus a, a, a breaking pitch. And so I think what he's saying is 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when we don't have all that advanced information and this idea of what makes a perfect pitcher, we look at Charlie Soto, he's sitting mid-90s, he touches 98, he's got this great slider, this changeup. That's a guy you're probably taking top 10, top 15. Mm -hmm. But one, mm -hmm. there's been so many teams burned by the prep pitchers not working out that they fall down the board a little bit. They always fall down the board every year. Plus the fact that the modern analytics prefer, like for instance, they prefer fastballs up in the zone versus the sinking fastballs. They prefer, mm -hmm. uh, instead of a short biting slider, they want the big sweeper. And so because of the types of pitches he throws and the combinations, it's not by some teams seem as the optimal pitch mix. So that's why he may fall back a little bit to the, the second pick for the Twins compared to 20 years ago when we didn't have TrackMan and StatCast. So when you enter a national park they have like color coding system for forest fires mm -hmm. i want to know what your color coding system says for the danger that charlie soto becomes a reliever okay so it's really interesting that you mentioned that the things when i watch charlie soto what i see is the fastball he sometimes gets a little bit of erratic with his placement of it right so his command of the fastball uh, a lot of what I feel like his slider does is more so generating chase than getting swing and miss. But what I'm looking for when I look for reliever risk is I'm looking for how repeatable is the delivery, how stressful is the delivery, and then how well do I see his combination of pitches that he throws being effective in a starting role when he goes a second and third time through the order. I do think you're going to have to give him something else, some other type of pitch. He's got fastball up in the zone. He has slider breaks one way, change up runs to the other. You need to give him something that breaks vertically and or get more movement on those two existing pitches to get to a third time through the order. But mm -hmm. I do see him as a starter simply okay. because the arm action is looks like it's smooth and consistent. And he's young enough where you have the ability to develop some more both in that pitch mix and another a fourth pitch that gives you a little more vertical options to attack a hitter. So I, I like him as a starter. I've got it very low risk of becoming a reliever, uh, except for the whole fact that he's eight, he's not even 18 yet. Yeah. And you never know what's going to happen with these guys. In your, in your circles, are the Twins regarded as a decent pitching development organization? They're not seen as one of the top five, but they're not seen as bad either. Okay. And it's something where I think what everybody's waiting on is that really big success story, right? right. You have all of these guys that have come through and you know before the mics came on, we were talking about some of the current rotation now with Bailey Ober and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that what a lot of people are waiting on to put the Twins up into that top five or top 10, along with the Braves and the Rays and the Dodgers and the Guardians, mm -hmm. is that big breakout, like Cy Young candidate guy coming out of this farm system. And they haven't really seen that yet. The pitchers that are there obviously are very good, but four of the five were trade acquisitions and in essence were already major leaguers or close to major leaguers mm -hmm. when they came in. And so I think that's like Billy Ober's the only one of the five in the rotation right now that was drafted by the Twins. So I right. think that's part of what the prospect apparatus, as I call it, is looking for 
to go ahead and say, all right, yeah, the Twins are as good as we thought they could be at developing pitchers. Okay, that makes sense. So third round or third pick, second round, Luke Kieschel from Arizona State. Did I say that right, Kieschel? I believe so. That's like the worst, like I'm the worst with names, but I believe that's right. So second baseman, you don't see a lot of those guys go early in the draft just due to positional the positional spectrum, et cetera, et cetera. If you had 30 seconds to sell me on him, though, like, how would you do it? He's played outfield as well, did it at the okay. Cape. And okay. so I think you've got versatility, center field, left field, second base, good speed, good defensive actions. The thing that's been holding him back is the arm. Offensively, if he, de- he has some pull side power, if he can mm-hmm. get a little more uh, all fields power, you've already got... Uh, good pitch recognition, good ability to barrel the ball, uh, fast bat, quick hands. It's all a matter of raising the power ceiling. If you do that, you've got a guy who can play in multiple positions for you and make an impact offensively. Yeah, that's certainly a, a reasonable reason to pick him that high. I want to dive into the Twins farm system presently just for a little bit before I let you go. Okay, so Royce Lewis just graduated off the prospect list. He's again hurt, which has been. <laughs> obviously an issue throughout the duration, but mm-hmm. that means Brooksley is consensus, no matter what number one prospect. Uh, I could see someone really being bold and putting Emmanuel Rodriguez on there, but I think that's way too bold for me. Brooksley, what are your thoughts of him? Because I feel, again, the Twins really benefited from a player falling to them at a spot where it was like, great, we'll take this guy, we'll be happy to have him. And uh, he's got like 29 doubles and double A now. He had a huge game last night. He's looking great. Yeah, I've been really impressed. Coming into this year, a lot of the conversations on him were, what was his defense going to do? Could he stick it short? Or would he have to move to third base? Obviously, he's blocked at both locations, and yep. except for the whole Royce Lewis getting hurt thing. But his range has looked better than we thought it would. His hit tool has been as good as advertised. And I think he's had better power than we expected. Mm-hmm. So provided he can stay healthy, He feels like a guy that could potentially bat 300, but could also give you, I'd say, 15 home runs, maybe 20, which Mm -hmm. is more than maybe you necessarily expected when you drafted him out of Cal Poly in the first round. I do think that he's better as a lefty than a righty, and I think the platoon splits clear that out as well. His right-handed swing isn't, it's more, he could pull the ball better with it, but it's not necessarily as smooth and fluid as his lefty swing. Uh, but still, he's still going to bat 300. It doesn't necessarily matter which side he uses, but I'd get into just him batting lefty full-time. Could he be like, I guess this guy's career has had two very separate spots, but like a poor man's Alex Bregman, or am I just off the mark there? No, I think it's a good comparison. A lot of players, when they first get up, they have, say, one power ceiling, and then once they're at MLB and they're in the professional environment, not necessarily the minors, but the professional environment with the better working conditions, better nutrition, strength and training, they hit another level of their power mm-hmm. development. And I think that Brooks League is the kind of guy that could right. come up and acclimate well, and then as he gets a little bit older, turn into a different type of hitter and get more power out of his current profile. I think he hit his slugging right now in AA, Wichita is like 468, and it feels like he could probably like do something between that and 500 at the major league level after he settles in and learns his stuff works against major league pitching. 
If you want your chance to win more money with less picks, head to Sleeper, where you can win 100 times your money on just two or more fantasy baseball picks. If you want to win 100 times your money on Daily Fantasy Baseball, Sleeper is offering up to a 100 times payout for up to eight pick contests. Choose as many as eight players that you like. Pick more or less on whatever your favorite baseball status, home run, strikeouts, hits, whatever it might be. Get your picks right and you can win big. One of my favorite strategies to use with Sleeper is to go find the guys that are on absolute heaters right now. Shohei Otani has hit a ton of home runs recently. He's a great guy to go out and say, yeah, I think he's going to go yard tonight. Or turning around and saying, this guy has been incredibly cold. I'm going to take him to strike out more than one time or to not get a hit. So uh, what's great about Sleeper is they've got that group chat functionality. So you can see and copy your group's picks with the tap of a button. If you guys find what you think is an inefficiency, everybody in the group can place the same bet because you can share it via Sleeper. Entries can be made in 30 seconds or less. It's incredibly easy and it's safe and fast withdrawal. So use promo code Locked On and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Now, terms and conditions do apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. They are currently operational in over 30 states. So check out Sleeper today. Of the top prospects, let's say like Emmanuel Rodriguez, how exciting is his ceiling? Again, I know he's a ways off. He's only 20, and we haven't gotten to see as much of him as you might have liked just due to different things here or there. But I feel I had a friend tune me into him about two years ago. This is a baseball card collector, former MLB agent, and so he's at the forefront of these things. But uh, let's just say my kids will be able to go to college if Emmanuel Rodriguez blows up. (laughs) I think Rodriguez has probably one of the highest ceilings of anybody who you didn't draft this year in the system. The question is going to be, one, health, and two, fine-tuning that approach. He's got a very good eye at the plate, like Edward Julian does. But the issue with it is for too long this season, he was very passive at the plate. Like he was waiting on the perfect pitch instead of just a good pitch. And so he would get into a disadvantage count. Now he has to expand the zone and chase. He struck out too much, things like that. But when his approach is dialed in, when he gets to that second level of pitch recognition, which is not ball versus strike, but strike versus drivable pitch I can do damage on, Mm-hmm. When he gets to that point, which I think he's close to doing, yep. the ceiling is absurd for Emmanuel Rodriguez. The fact that he's got the plus arm helps with that. I do think it's going to end up being a right fielder versus a center fielder, but yep. something where he could be a an all-star caliber fielder who hits 30-plus home runs in a year, has a high batting average, walks 20% of the time, if wow. he is what we think he is. And if all of this stuff projects to the major league level, now that's the 99th percentile outcome. But either way, the hit tool was very good. The power tool is very good. It's just, can you fine-tune the approach where you can get both of those into games? Would it be better? So obviously a development in the minors, the the umpires aren't as good down there. So looking for that fine, perfect pitch also falls apart because the zones aren't as consistent, I would suspect. So if he was with big league umpires in a big league strike zone, Do you think that would be a different scenario where he could probably afford to be a little more picky with his pitch selection? Or is it more just he's got to 
reel in that skill set at this level and then progress. He's learning a bit of that now. He was in Fort Myers last year in single A. And in the Florida League, they had automated balls and strikes last year. And mm -hmm. so you could see he oh. goes from, from rookie ball, he batted 214 in rookie ball. And then Fort Myers last year, he batted 272. And then now in Cedar Rapids in high A, back to human umpires, he's batting 212. And so he's having to make that adjustment himself right now and figure this out. I do think that as you go up the ladder, obviously the things that we assume will get better, we assume defense will get better for the most part, it does. We assume that balls and strike calls will get better. They usually mm -hmm. do. And so a guy like him, I feel like the learning curve as he goes up a level isn't going to be as tough as a typical player's learning curve simply because he has an advanced recognition and he's working with pitchers who can better throw to the edge of the zone and umpires who can better call it. It's not as bad for him as a lot of other guys when they move up, but sure. it is a problem that you can see in the stats is affecting him now and affected him in 21 in rookie ball where it didn't affect him last year in single A. Okay. You got time for two more? Yeah. I see a lot of wild cards in this system right now due to injury, whatever. Who do you like best of kind of these wild cards or what do you like about these guys? Connor Prelip out for the rest of the season. Austin Martin has not been able to stay healthy. Matt Cantorino has not been able to stay healthy. And Jordan Balazovic had an ugly season last year, but is now in the big league bullpen and is actually, they're having him throw some innings that you might not expect a guy who just came up to be throwing again. It hurts that Caleb Thielbar is hurt. Jorge Lopez isn't who he needs to be. Yada, yada, yada. Of those guys, like, do you feel like those guys can still carve out big league careers despite the fact that they've hit some road bumps? So I got some video of pre-lip in rookie ball doing some starts as, he, as he's coming back from Tommy John. The thing about him, like he, he's the one that I like the most from the group. And the thing to remember about Connor Prelip is he's going to be a weird development case because he's 22, but because of the lost 2020 season in college and then the timing of his Tommy John, he got 28 collegiate innings in three years. And so it's very much the development curve of a high school player, but his stuff, from what I have been told of the readings in rookie ball, his stuff is just about as good as it was like before he had the surgery. Mm -hmm. So he's got the highest ceiling as far as the stuff he throws, the fastball running up to 96, 97, the changeup, the tons of spin on a slider, like 3000 RPM slider, Ooh. fantastic stuff. But he's also got a lot of the risk because he's 22 and he's yep. in essence starting his development. He had his first start just the other day in, in I think it was either high A or low A. And so, but yep. high A, Cedar Rapids. And so, the development curve is definitely behind, but he has the highest ceiling of anybody that you mentioned simply because the stuff is so good. He's been away from the game for reasons outside of his control. And yes. he still has, now that he's past Tommy John, provided there's no other catastrophic arm injury, he still has the ability to reach that ceiling we thought he did. Now, the last one is. So we saw a year ago the Twins trade Cade Povich. They trade Steve Jar. Some of these guys that have come up in the system and more pop-up guys, which again, I think speaks back to the idea that they want to develop their own pitchers. Mm -hmm. Are there any guys like that this year that you're like, oh, hey, I'm really keeping an eye on this guy? Because I think of, I, I looked at David Festa's numbers and they weren't as good as I was hoping. Marco Raya was really good and then got the bump to double A. So Cantorino's out. We're not seeing anything from him. Enrique has just finally got healthy. 
Are there pitchers creeping up that list where you're like, oh, hey, this might be the next guy that sneaks into that top 10? Because I know a lot of people like CJ Culpepper, Sean Mooney. Is there anybody who stands out to you like that? I've got somebody who's not on the top 30, but is somebody in prospect circles. There's a lot of talk about because of how unique he is. And that's Corey Lewis. So 2022 ninth rounder out of UC Santa Barbara. And the big thing for Corey Lewis is he's not a knuckleballer, but he has a knuckleball. Fastball, slider change, and then he has a powered knuckleball. And in his 14 starts across A ball and high A, he has a combined 229 ERA with 81 strikeouts in 63 innings. And he's not your traditional R.A. Dickey, Tim Wakefield knuckleball guy. He's not throwing it three-fourths of the time, but he's got it enough to mix it in. And just mm-hmm. it's, it kind of functions, in essence, as a super off-speed pitch, right? Okay. But a guy that not really heralded, nobody really was expected a ton out of him, but he's got the physical frame, 6'5", 220. He's got the stuff. And he has the results where he is on the radar of a lot of major league teams around the trade deadline. If there's deals to be made, he's going to be asked for. And he's probably valued higher by MLB teams and the prospect apparatus than he is by the average fan. So you at least need to know his name. I want to say thank you so much for coming on. I want to know what you're up to next on Locked On MLB Prospects. We are actually talking on Friday with our friends from Locked On Angels about a trade for Shohei Otani. We're looking at Otani trade packages, which systems have the top tier prospects and the the major league team that's competitive to make a deal for Shohei Otani. So it's going to be a very excited episode on Friday. Obviously, tons of draft stuff coming up the rest of this week, but I'm very excited for that episode. All right. Well, that's all we have time for here for Brandon Warren, for Lindsey Crosby. This is... Locked on Twins saying adios, and we'll talk to you soon.